0: with Shannon Davis. Folks were live with Michael W. Smith, and we just had Michael Basham on, so we could call tonight the night of M Square. <laughs> Brother, okay. How are you doing? Um, I have a really sad story to tell you. Uh, one of my cats, one of my cats, uh, wrote me a, sui- a suicide letter. They had the cat had went out to California, was going to school out there, got abducted. And they forced a sex change on it and he was yeah. a male now he's a female and he can't change back so he ended his life and I just want to warn people that have cats do not let them go to San Francisco you may not see them again very sad very sad day for that cat uh, praise the Lord my friend <laughs> well welcome aboard Michael how you been since last time busy. Uh, we're always glad that you made some time for us in your schedule. You are doing a great work over there at HardcoreChristianity.com. We'll go ahead and get started. You want to open us up in prayer?
1: Yes. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, it's another privilege uh, to be on Omega Man, and thank you for all the people uh, Shannon's been able to reach over there. It's been phenomenal. And uh, thanks for letting me be a, a small part of it. I want to share some things today that will help somebody, and I know that you'll help me and uh, anoint your word so we can do that so they can become uh, children who fulfill their destiny
0: Amen Michael I just realized that uh, you're coming through your uh, external speaker do you have your headset plugged in let me check here we're pulling your your audio in through your webcam I think see if See if you're plugged in, and then if you are, pull the uh, microphone arm down. We might need to go into your Skype and change the settings. Let me know if you're plugged in.
1: Uh, right uh, now, yeah. Uh, there you are. Know, I'm, I'm hearing you through my headset.
0: Okay, you're, you're coming in perfect now. We got you. Okay, everything okay, is in. That's all right. Um, with that, uh, take it away, my friend. The mic is yours. you got all the time you want. Oh, well, thank you. <clears throat> Say, I wanted to share
1: share a very interesting story with you uh, this morning. Yes. Uh, It's in Luke chapter 8. Quite remarkable. Um, As you know, Jesus was uh, walking down kind of like a parade route. He was being mobbed by hundreds of people. And uh, while he's walking down the street with the disciples and the crowds were there, uh, a guy named Jarius comes running up to him out of the crowd. Everybody's read this story. It's in uh, two of the Gospels, carry it. The one in Luke uh, has some fascinating details that the Matthew one doesn't have. It says here, uh, when Jesus was walking down this the street, he was being mobbed by people, and Brother Jairus comes running up to him, and he says to him, Will you come to my home? My daughter's dying, and she's my only daughter. So, the reason this guy got through the crowd and got right up to see Jesus was because he was a man of importance. He was the ruler of one of the synagogues, and uh, probably got some special treatment. Plus, they saw he was uh, crying and desperate. And when he came up to Jesus, verse 47, Luke 8, he says he fell down and worshipped him. And uh, Jesus said immediately, without even hesitation, you know, lead the way, we'll go to your house. And then, of course, you know the story about the woman with the issue of blood while they're on their way there. Another miracle occurred, and some woman got healed of cervix cancer, right on the spot. Well, while they continue past, past her healing, a group of people from the synagogue, his family and friends, come up to him and said, don't bother uh, the master anymore, your daughter just died. The Greek word for master there is uh, didaskalos, it means teacher don't bother the teacher anymore, uh, your daughter just died. And you know, in the Jewish custom was that within 24 hours of somebody dying, they had to be, you know, buried. So you don't have a lot of time between a death and a burial. So they wanted him to come back and get the funeral arrangements, and uh, his his house was packed with relatives and mourners and all kinds of stuff. Everything had to be done. And he turns around and looks at Jesus with this look of horror on his face and the Lord said something to him quite remarkable He said, keep on believing Verse 50 He says to him, quote Fear not, believe only and she shall be made whole Now, the Greek word for believe there is pistuo and it means it's the verb of the greek noun pistis pistis is the word the bible translates as faith and the greek word stands for to believe something having no doubts and no unbelief pistus pistuo is the verb of that noun and it means To activate or step out on your faith. It's It's translated as believe in the King James Bible. Pistis is translated as faith in the King James Bible. So what Jesus was saying here was keep on activating your faith, keep on stepping out on your faith, and she will be made whole. What's interesting about that word is that it's in the uh, continuous active tense. It's a continuous active tense verb, which means what he really said was, keep on believing. Keep on constantly having faith, nonstop. Faith after faith after faith. Keep on believing, is what he said. And at that point in his life, he had a major decision to make. Either believe his family and friends and the people from the church, the naysayers, the people with the negativity, or to go with God in spite of the fact that what he saw and what he heard didn't match up. And the essence of faith in Christianity, is that you act on something that appears not to exist. Hebrews 11.1 one says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Hope is a future tense Greek verb. Elpizo is a Greek word. It means you're believing something is a fact in the future. Hope. For example, love, you and I have hope in our heavenly home and the glory of heaven and the throne room of God and our our mansion in the New Jerusalem and everything it says in Revelation that's all future tense in Revelation after chapter 3. After chapter 3 is all future tense. A hope is something you have in the future that you believe is a fact in the present. El Fizo. And the first thing that Jesus said to him was the most important thing. Fear not. Because fear is Uh, Satan's baseball bat. Fear is the thing that Satan uses to beat Christians into submission. To beat their hopes and their dreams out of them. To beat their miracles and their answers to prayer out of them. Because inherent in fear, the Greek word is phobos, inherent in that word Almost like a a a dog, a mother female dog that gave birth, and the puppies are sucking on the tits. Fear has tits, and those tits are unbelief, doubt, and confusion. And when a born again Christian is living in fear, unbelief, doubt, and confusion always follows. Fear technically means you don't believe God is going to help you. Whenever you've been afraid in the past, as Job was, for example, for years he had the thing he feared the most came upon him. He always feared that his children were going to sin and fail God. So he would always offer sacrifices for his kids in their place, almost by proxy. And Job did this on a regular basis, daily, weekly, monthly. He would sacrifice to Jehovah for his children. But in the back of his mind, he always had this strange fear that they were going to do something wrong and do something sinful, and they were going to get in trouble. Well, when the devil murdered his family after the first trip in to present himself before Jehovah with the other angels. When they died in a tornado, caused by Satan, by the way, Job, Job's horrible fears about his family all came back to him. And he said, the horrible thing that I feared the most has come upon me. Fear has uh, tits like a dog a mother duck, and unbelief and doubt and confusion are what Christians suck on when they allow fear to enter their mind and torment their souls. And what happens is the devil puts a fearful thought in their mind supernaturally. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. And then if the person receives that thought the demons then attack the person's soul, which is the seat of your emotions. Your emotions come out of your soul. Your, your thoughts have no emotions. A thought is emotionless. For example, people that have deadened souls or seared, seared dead souls are people who don't feel anything. When they do the most atrocious thing, for example, a sociopath, for example, a psychopath, for example, Charles Manson, for example, John Wayne Gacy, for example, Ted Bundy, these people's souls are damaged and seared, and so they don't feel remorse or guilt over sinful behavior. And the reason for that is because they were so scared And so frightened when they were children, Both, both, almost all serial killers were abused in childhood. For example, Charles Manson had enormous, vicious child abuse. And he was taken over by demons when he was a young man because of the horrors of what his mother put him through. His mother was severely mentally ill. And she, Satan used her to create Charles Manson. These kind of people are not born like that. They're created by Satan. And the vehicle he uses is child abuse or fear demons. Fear demons are very unique in that they're not the strongest of all demons, nor are they the smartest, and they're pretty easy to get out if you can get the person to repent. They come out pretty quickly, usually by screaming or something. In fact, last Friday night at the service, uh, I recorded the uh, deliverance portion of the service at the end. And you could hear de- fear demons coming out of people in the background. Some people were screaming. And those are normally fear, de- fear spirits. And they come out pretty easy if you get the person to repent. They're pretty easy to get out. The problem with fear demons is uh, they hunt in packs. And they always support other demons. So if somebody has witchcraft spirits, or masonry demons, or lust demons, whatever they've got, there's always fear demons around helping those other demons. Because fear is Satan's baseball bat. It's what he uses on born-again Christians to control them. Fear is his controller. And fear, he knows, if a, if a born-again Christian will receive it, wipes out your prayers. If you pray for something and then you fear afterwards, you might as well not have prayed. Because the prayer is not going to be answered. Fear genetically contains unbelief, doubt, and confusion. It comes with it. And that's what these demons generate in you when you become anxious or afraid, you'll eventually have unbelief and doubt and you'll end up confused. And the bottom line is you won't get your blessings, you won't get your anointing, you won't get your prayers answered. So the first thing that Jesus focused on, number one, he says to Brother Jarius, fear not. Because he knows if if he fears and he gets scared and he doesn't repent of it, he knows that the girl, his daughter, is going to stay dead. They're not even going to make it to his house. He'll do something stupid. Fear causes Christians to do stupid things, things they would never do under normal circumstances. Fear is a, a delusioner and it causes people to act and think, and talk in abnormal ways. For example, the Greek word phobos is our English word phobia. A phobia is an unrealistic fear, but phobias are not real with one exception. To the person who has the phobia, it's it's real to them. It's not real to anybody else. Phobias are not real except to the person who has them. I'm afraid of spiders, I'm afraid of the dark, I'm afraid of dying. Those are the top three phobias in the United States. But they're not real. If you're a born-again Christian, there's no fear whatsoever of dying, because your, your eternity has been covered at Calvary. If you have spiders or the or darkness or whatever it is there's there's hundreds of other phobias none of it's real there's no reason to fear spiders or snakes or anything else but if a person has a phobia it's real to them and so what jesus was trying to stop here so the miracle could be completed was brother jarius developing fear because fear is a blessing killer Fear causes blessings to be executed, like in the mafia. They, You get a bullet in the back of your head. And that's what happens to your miracles. Boom, they're gone. And then he told him, keep on believing. Perfect example of this is uh, the father of faith, Brother Abraham. He was fantastic. And you know the story in uh, Genesis 22 The G- God told him, Uh, Listen, uh, I've been watching you and Isaac, and uh, I see that you have uh, enormous love for him. And I'm starting to get a little concerned because uh, you're my man that I said was going to have a new nation, and the number of people in your nation from your seed would be like the sand of the seashore. And I'm starting to wonder if you're on board now, and if you have put this kid ahead of me. So Jehovah says, hey, I want you to pack up. I want you to go to Mount Moriah. I want you to sacrifice him. Build an altar and sacrifice your son to me. Well, miraculously, Abraham doesn't even, doesn't even turn a hair. He just gets two of his servants. They load up the, the donkeys, and boom, they're gone. And the devil attacked Abraham every step of the way because it was a three-day journey. And he had to camp three nights to get there. And the reason that God allowed this trial to be extended is that he was testing Abraham because the miracle God had for him was so huge. God allows uh, all of his children, all born again Christians, to be tested. And the stronger and harder the test, the more powerful and the more spectacular the miracle is that's coming your way. If you went through a minor test, you're staring at a minor miracle. If you're going through some really tough times, exceptionally tough times, weeks, months, years, decades even, the miracle at the end of that is far greater than if you went through a trial for 10 minutes or 5 minutes. And so Abraham had to fight off the devil, chronic negative thoughts, and fears for three straight days and nights. And it says he got up early in the morning, ran up to Mount Moriah after the third day. He built an altar, and Isaac's looking at him, and Abraham didn't say anything. He just kept going, and we found out in Hebrews, as you remember, Paul revealed it in Hebrews. He said that what Abraham was thinking was, hey, I'm going to kill my son, but he's going to be resurrected from the dead. And the typology of this whole story, of course, relates to Jesus being three days in the in the heart of the earth, and then the resurrection of Christ, and the cross of Calvary. You can see the transition there. But Abraham didn't. Still would not stop. And sure enough, he ties uh, Isaac down on the altar. He ties him up. It says in Hebrew. Picked up the blade. You know, got ready to kill his son. Just before he did it, angel yells at him, "Hey, stop! Don't touch that boy. Look over there." He turns around and looks and sees a ram caught in a thicket. But what Abraham didn't know was that the ram was coming up the mountain as he was coming up the mountain. When Abraham loaded up his mule three days ago, God picked out a ram to meet him at the top when he got there. And that's exactly what the Lord does now with everybody who's a born-again Christian. He does this exact same thing. At the single moment you started your trial and you started to go through this thing, whatever it is, God already sent your rescue ship It already left the harbor, and it's coming right toward you. But you don't know it. And that's the essence of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Elenkos is a Greek word for evidence in that verse. It means the proof, the reality of what you cannot see. The Greek word for see in that verse is blepo. It means to look at something with your eyes. That's what faith is. When you have faith and you do not doubt and you have no unbelief, what you are believing for is actually already a fact. It's a hope in the future that has not manifested yet. But you know for sure it's coming. And that's what happened to Abraham. He just didn't know how it was coming. He thought his son was going to be killed and then resurrected from the dead. That's what he thought. He didn't know that God's miracle provision, the Holy Spirit told a ram to climb the mountain clear to the top as Abraham was climbing the other side of the mountain. And that's exactly the way it is with you. Every single time you pray. Every single time. God sent you the answer to your prayer right after you prayed it, right? Daniel 10, you saw what happened to Daniel. And so the minute he started praying, fasted for 21 days, the 24th day an angel appears to him and says, Daniel, listen, from the first moment on day one, you started to pray, your prayer was heard. And God analyzed your heart. Now you see the process here? It couldn't be any clearer. When you pray for something, God hears your prayer immediately and then analyzes your heart that supports the prayer. And so he's checking you out to see if there's something impure if there's Ebola in your prayer, is there greed there? Is there selfishness? Is there pride hidden in your heart that caused you to pray that prayer? If if that's not the case, if that's not true, your prayer is answered and your miracle is on the way. And it happened to Daniel. He prayed and fasted. God analyzes heart, it says, and then the first moment he prayed, his answer was sent, and it's a yes, and the devil spent 21 days trying to stop him. That's exactly what's going to happen to you, to every born-again Christian who prays with a good heart, and the prayer is legitimate, untainted, by pride or selfishness or something else, revenge or negativity or whatever it is in your heart. If your heart is pure and clean when you pray the prayer, your prayer was heard and answered as soon as you got the prayer out of your mouth. Now what do you have to do? Well, the devil's going to attack you and try to stop it. You may have to climb a mountain to get to the Holy of Holies, like Abraham did. You may have to persevere, like Daniel did. But either way, God already answered their prayers and said yes, and sent them a miracle The first moment they finish their prayer. And that's what God is going to do with you. That's what he is doing. How come my prayer never gets answered? Well, because if you don't persevere like Daniel and Abraham, and if you don't keep going, as Jesus told Jairus, keep on believing. Keep on believing. That's a present continuous active tense verb, pistool. If you don't do that, you're going to lose your prayer, your anointing, your call, and your destiny. Translation, you just gave up. You gave up. You didn't have the patience to endure. And so you lost your miracle. And Jesus was trying to circumvent that here in this story in Luke chapter 8. It's fantastic. Fear not, number one problem. Number two, keep on believing. Because if fear gets in, you'll quit. You'll give up. You'll have unbelief. You'll have doubt. You'll have confusion. Now, check this out. He gets to the house because Brother Jarius decided not to listen to people with negativity. And that's something you will have to learn in your Christian life, in your ministry. You cannot succumb to negativity, particularly if you're in a ministry, uh, in a field like I'm in, where it's healing and deliverance ministry, you get criticized constantly in this field. I have had so many people criticize me over there, you wouldn't even believe it. I am not a popular person in many circles simply because of the, the hardness of the material I teach and the aggressiveness of. If you aggressively tell people what's true and you, you know, dismantle their delusions, people are going to turn on you. But you can't take that, you can't have that, you can't develop any ought for anybody, you can't feel negative about people. You have to let that stuff go. It has to slide. You can't keep any of it. None of it. No matter what they say about you, no matter what they do, it doesn't matter. You don't keep it. You cannot keep it. Well, Brother Jarius didn't keep it. He ignored the naggers and the naysayers. Your daughter's led. Don't bother this teacher anymore. Come on home. We've got to get the funeral ready. Chop, chop. Well, Brother Jarius said, no, no. And he kept going. And when he got there, something incredible happened. The house was full of people. And the reason it was full was because in Jewish society, They all all had paid mourners. And since Brother Jarius was a big shot and important person in the community, he had a whole room full of mourners and relatives and friends there mourning. Everybody was mourning the death of the child. Because they knew she was dead. And so he had plenty of mourning. If you were poor, the synagogue sometimes would appoint one mourner to go over to your house to mourn for you if you didn't have any friends or relatives. And a lot of people, of course, did not have that. Life expectancy was pretty low back then. And Jesus walks into the house and says and all these people are in there mourning and he says something that appears to be so stupid, nobody could believe it. Uh, they they thought it was a stand-up comic gig. He says to them, stop crying. Crying. Okay, the Greek word for weeping in that verse is kleio, and it means to wail. I mean, these people weren't shedding a few tears and weeping. That was mistranslated in the King James Bible. Dakruo is the Greek word you would have used if they were just like shedding tears or weeping a little bit, you know, like uh, people do when they get an award, they say, Oh, thank you to my mom and thank you to my God. And they have a little tear there and it kind of drips out. That's that's weeping. This is not weeping in this verse. This is Clio. These people are wailing out loud, I mean, howling in grief for Brother Jairus' daughter because they knew she was dead. And it was time to get ready for the funeral. They only had 24 hours to crank it. And Jesus says, what? Stop wailing. She is not dead. She's sleeping. This exact same thing happened in Mark chapter 9. Jesus was brought uh, a young boy by his father, who was loaded with deaf and dumb demons. Now, deaf and dumb spirits are extremely hard to get out, and they're like monsters. Uh, They're demons on steroids. They are extremely hard to get out. I have as much trouble with them as everybody else does. They're very powerful. They gave this kid in Mark chapter 9 a whole laundry list of disabilities. He had everything learning disability, autism, physical disabilities. It was terrible. Suicide, ideation, the whole, this poor kid got the whole rack. And it started when he was an infant, is what the father told Jesus. Jesus asked him when did this start. He said, when he was young, the Greek word is paideathen, it means an infant. So this child was born with curses from the family tree at birth. These are generational spirits. Generational spirits. Those are spirits that get into people's bodies when they're in the womb or they're young children or infants because the person didn't sin to allow the demon in. These are, these are non-sinning demons. The infant, the fetus, the baby did not sin to pick up the demons. It came from a generational curse from the sin of the family tree that got the kid. And after the deaf and dumb spirit was removed in Mark chapter 9, the people said, oh my gosh, the kid's dead. Look at him. He's dead. Well, the same thing happened here. They looked at the girl and Jesus said, listen, she's not dead. She's sleeping. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus didn't say anything. He just reached over, grabbed the kid's hand, pulled him up, and he got up, healed, and he handed him over to his father. And his father was, had been wailing. Kleo. Same Greek word. And what's amazing about this verse is, in verse 52, at the moment Jesus stepped onto the property... Not down the street, but the time he stepped on the property, the girl woke up. She was laying in bed, probably in a coma of some kind. And they started laughing at him because they knew that she was dead. So what happened? God got rid of them, And that's what's going to happen in your life if you need to get rid of people in your life who are speaking into it with doubt, unbelief, and negativity. You need to bag these people, and I mean bag them fast. Because fear and unbelief and doubt spread like cancer. And if you leave people in your life, in your church, in your home group, that have unbelief and doubt and fear, they will spread it to other people. It spreads emotionally and intellectually. Other people will get it. And so Jesus, A, kicked them all out, and then, to be absolutely sure, everybody was on the same page. He only takes in Peter, James, and John, and the mother and the father. Those are the only people that went into the room where the young girl was laying down and had previously been dead. What did he do? Same thing as Mark chapter 9. He reaches out with his hand. He grabs the girl, sits her up, just like the boy, in the dust. He picked him up, and then he told the parents, don't tell anybody about this. I don't want anybody to know about it. It's going to cause a major influx of people coming in. I won't be able to eat, sleep, or move. Don't spread this around, and give her something to eat. Jesus was remarkable in that he would do the most amazing things spiritually and then he would flip back over to common sense. He did it again here. Common sense always went with him. It was amazing. As my granddads used to say, some people I know are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. Well, that wasn't true with Jesus. He was very heavenly minded and Very practical to the things of earth, the kind of things you need to do practically, eat, get dressed, you know, work, the things you do in your life. He was, he promotes that. And that's what happened here. The girl was, got out of bed and he told him to give her something to eat. And then it says in verse 56, her parents were astonished. Yeah, no kidding. All people that receive a miracle from God who are not fearful and who are not scared are astonished with the wonder and awe at the power of the Holy Ghost. Every time the Holy Ghost moves, people are amazed at it. Last Friday night, I prayed for a Native American woman who had gone through a massive deliverance, and it was ugly. Her grandfather was a shaman. And she had had a vicious deliverance. Well, after that was done, I asked the woman if she had any pain in her body. She said, yeah, I do. I have pain in both my knees. I lost, the cartilage wore out. There's no cartilage in them. It causes chronic pain. And I said, <clears throat> okay, well, knees are usually pretty easy. So I got down on my knees. And I put my hands on her knees. And I said, uh, Heal something like that, and then I stood up and I pulled her out of her chair and I said, go ahead, start walking. Well, she was kind of teetery at first, so then I give her a little shove. And she started walking and then she walked about 10 feet, walked back about 3 or 4 feet. I said, go on, keep going faster. Go fast. And she started walking fast and suddenly she started laughing. She said, my knees feel squishy. Or something like that. I said they feel they feel squishy. Yeah, I, the pain's all gone, and so she's walking back and forth in front of the sanctuary. And uh, if you'd like to see that that uh, healing, you can go to my YouTube broadcast, youtube.com/slash House of Healing By the way, it's at the end of the broadcast. It was one of the last things that happened. Well, I had I saw three other women in the congregation who had been delivered from demons and they were giggling and happy so i went around to those three women and i got them up and i i had them in one straight line follow this native american woman around who was praising god and crying and giggling and i developed a a, a praise parade everybody Praising the Lord for the moving of the Spirit for healing and deliverance. That was just last Friday. You can watch it if you want to. The point I'm trying to make is had those four women that got delivered, had they feared or had anxiety? And I think two of the women had been delivered from fear demons that night. So they had fear and anxiety when they came. But if you can get them to repent of it, they can get delivered. And once they get delivered, the joy of the Lord will return to them. And you see them praising God and giggling. It's quite amazing to watch it. And of course, I had absolutely nothing to do with any of the healings or the blessings. I was just encouraging them to receive it. It's all I do. I'm basically kind of an encourager with the people. If they're sick, I just encourage them to reach out with their faith and keep on believing and to repent of their fears. And once that happens, boom, people get healed. I've had hundreds of people healed right in front of my eyes but I've had hundreds more not healed who would not repent of being afraid and anxious and who would not repent of doubt, unbelief and confusion. So it's the, the battlefield, as Joyce Meyer once said, is in your mind and nothing could be truer than healing and deliverance. The war is in your mind and it's a vicious one. And the father that brought his disabled son to Jesus in Mark 9 and brother Jairus who got the word that his daughter was dead in Luke 8. Immediately a war started. Russia, Ukraine in the mind. And the devil was desperately, viciously fighting for them to be like Job and open their mind to truckloads of negative thoughts and thoughts of unbelief and thoughts of confusion i mean god won the bet with satan because job never cursed the lord he was a powerful man of god a great man actually he never cursed the lord because of all these horrible things that happened to him he'd been stripped of everything except the things god the devil wanted to save. The devil never attacked his wife because he knew she was going to bring him negativity. He never attacked his three friends because he knew they would come help him and then turn on him. And if you're listening to me right now, I want you to remember, your life is Job. The devil is going to constantly send you people to dump into your mind uh, human intellectual feces. He wants to use your mind as a toilet to load it up with unbelief and doubt and lies. And he's going to use fear to lift the toilet seat lid to dump inside of you. Once you start being afraid, once you become anxious and fearful, no matter who you are, this applies to Christians and sinners, then he has legal rights and access to your mind which then allows him access to your soul and you become emotionally damaged. Fear, anxiety, loneliness, terror, panic. And that's how the process works. God used all these incidences to use simple illustrations for you and I today. 2,000 years later, these stories in the Bible were put in there by the Holy Ghost, and they were put in there for a reason. They're simple illustrations of pistis and pistuo. Pistis is faith, Greek noun. pistuo, is acting your faith out, a Greek verb, the verb of faith. See, you've got to have a verb in your Christianity To fulfill your destiny. Intellectual knowledge of the Bible, studying the Word, will not work. The Bible does not work for people who do not activate it. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen, but only if you activate them. If you don't believe them, if you ignore them they will do you absolutely no good. And so what got Job in trouble was fear. What got the father with the desperate dying son in Mark chapter 9, fear had crept in. And he'd been sending his son to deliverance ministers since the cows came home. And because of that, he thought this was another situation to generate. Fear and doubt and unbelief. I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't cast him out. Now he was scared again. Now he was heartbroken again. And then he questioned Jesus. See, fear will cause you to turn on God. Fear will cause you not to believe God. The desperate father said to Jesus, if you can help us, have mercy on us help us. He said, if you can help us. That's what he said. Jesus then recognized exactly what he said and said, if you can believe all things are possible to him that believeth. King James Version, Greek Version, Pistuo, present active tense verb. If you can keep on believing, all things are possible to those who keep on believing. Fear will stop you dead in your tracks, and fear can be repented of. It happened Friday night. Once you repent of your fears, it's easy to get demons out of people. Deliverance is not the problem. The problem with deliverance is the person's mind. Your belief system determines your future. Who you are now and what you will become later is all determined by your own personal belief system. If it's like Job and all the things you've been fearing came upon you, oh my God, what's happening? You're going to end up suffering and suffering for a long time. But if you'll do what Brother Jarius did, and that's the purpose of this story. It's a fantastic story. He overcame the negativity of people around him. Now notice, this wasn't sinners or strangers. What was around him was his friends and loved ones. Those are the people Satan uses the most to put fear and doubt in your heart. He always comes at you with people you suspect the least If a serial killer came up and said, Hey, listen, don't listen to that teacher anymore. Get away from him. Go on home and start the funeral. Brother Jarius wouldn't have panicked. He wouldn't have have given any thought to the guy because the guy had nothing to do with him. The guy had no value to him. So the devil doesn't use total strangers or sinners or people who don't care about you and you don't know. You don't care about them. You won't listen to them. What he uses is people you love and who are friends of yours. He uses them to help you develop your fears. And once you develop your fears, you're now sucking on the hind tits of the mother dog, unbelief, doubt, and confusion you'll be sucking on those tits one after the other. But Brother Jarius and Daniel and Abraham, they set the example for us. They did not listen to negativity from demons, from friends, from relatives. They just kept on believing. And if you'll do that on your trial that you're going through now, the heartache and the sorrow of your life. If you will not do what Job did, if you will do what Brother Jarius did and say, hey, I'm going to keep on believing. Period. And the devil is not going to stop me. I am not afraid. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will help you, I will strengthen you, I will uphold you I will uphold you with a strong arm, the powerful arm of my righteousness says the Lord, thus saith the Lord, Amen
0: Great word today folks with Michael W. Smith I think we should call this one Satan's baseball bat fear You came up with it. I love the title. Um, (laughs) I agree. Also, you got a pencil and paper? Yes, sir. You gave another title that I think would be a uh, a great title for another message uh, you did called Monsters, Demons on Steroids. I love that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That came from you. I just have the ability to uh, (laughs) grab that title. Uh, I'll, I'll take it. I'll do it next time. Wait till you see the thumbnail I just made for you for this show. It's going to be good. Folks, uh, you need to share this one with everyone you know. All these shows, Michael, are just uh, home runs for Jesus. Uh, Michael, tell people about your ministry, uh, what you got going on there that they can uh, participate in and how they can support your work.
1: Yeah, okay. Thank you for that. By the way, uh, uh, my ministry partner, Kelly, um, um, put us on all those platforms you told us about. Oh, great. Uh, I don't know if you remember that last time you gave me some advice. But anyway, thank you for that. But uh, if you uh, happen to live in in Arizona, I hope you come visit us. We have a full staff of counselors at the Arizona Deliverance Center. We're downtown in Phoenix. We're on 15th Avenue, just south of uh, Osborne Road. It's the Red Brick Building. The ministry line is 602-636-5800. If you know someone who is a born-again Christian and they need to see a a counselor, you can do that, and there's no charge for born-again Christians for counseling services. So if you'll just call the ministry line, I'll put you on the uh, counseling schedule. Please send me an email, mike at com. We have a Zoom deliverance service for women on Tuesday nights, and we have a Zoom deliverance service for men and women on Wednesday nights. And we also have uh, two live services at the Deliverance Center in Phoenix, Thursday nights and Friday nights at seven o'clock. Those are all Pacific times. The Wednesday night Zoom service is six p.m. Pacific and Arizona time. The Tuesday night women's service is at six thirty. That's also Pacific time. And so, if you need to get a hold of me, I'd be happy to send you a the miracle list that I created that uh, is a step-by-step guide to deliverance and healing. It works 100% of the time for people that do it. Uh, The tough part about it is I can only get a small percent of people to do that list, but it goes down one, two, three, four, so to speak. And I'm telling you, it works. I got testimonies you would not believe, and they're all on my website. I post all the testimonies of people that are delivered and healed using the miracle list. But I'll send it to you right away, mike at hardcorechristianity.com. I'll put you on the counseling schedule right away if, you, if you're if you going to be visiting the Phoenix area from out of state. We get a lot of people coming in from out of state to get delivered. Hey, give me a call, 602-636-5800, and I'll put you on the counseling schedule at a time when you're going to be in town if you're visiting
0: from another state or out of town somewhere. That's fantastic. I, thank you. And that main website again is hardcorechristianity.com? Yes, sir. Oh, that's awesome. Um, anything else you'd like to mention? Uh, I'll
1: be in Kansas City, Missouri this summer. If you go to the website and, and click the calendar button, uh, I was just in Carlsbad, California for a healing and deliverance service. It was fantastic. Just one, one deliverance after the other. Kansas City's next. You can follow my travel schedule if you like on the website and just
0: click the calendar button up there at the top. And I'll see you there. Awesome, folks! Again, HardcoreChristianity.com. Support the work there. Uh, Michael, would you look at your schedule for August and get me a date? I'll do it. Excellent. You want to close us in prayer? Yeah, thank you, Father God. There's
1: some people going through some trials right now, and they're climbing a mountain. And it's some, and some places on this mountain, it's steep. It's painful. Mentally, physically, and emotionally, and whatever that trial is—if it's a sickness, if it's a mental illness, if it's attacks on their children, if it's attacks on their parents, whatever it is—it doesn't matter. I ask you to give them grace and strength to keep on believing and climb that mountain, because unbeknownst to them, right this second, at this very moment, on the other side of that mountain. You sent someone, some miracle, something is coming up the other side of the mountain to meet you at the top. And they they are going to be healed and delivered and blessed at the top of the mountain. And their
0: miracle, like Daniel, is on the way. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I say amen to that. Michael, great word. I'll send you a copy here in another hour. And um, we'll see you soon. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. you ben. Folks, that was Michael W. Smith.